opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by Chris Clow, editor of Reverse Mortgage Daily, to talk about the HELOC resurgence and what that means for reverse mortgages, HUD actions to support aging in place, and how Biden's student loan forgiveness affects senior borrowers. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me back, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Uh, I love talking to you and finding out what is going on in the reverse world. This is, and, and you have a lot of news lately, especially news coming out of HUD and what they're doing to try to help seniors age in place, what they're doing with the reverse mortgage. So let's talk about the latest news about um, some of the grants that they're giving. Yeah. So uh, yesterday it came through, we're recording this on a Tuesday, a peek behind the curtain. So Monday uh, this week, it came through that HUD was going to be adding an additional $15 million specifically to a program that's designed to facilitate uh, aging in place. And aging in place is a, a critical issue when it comes to the reverse mortgage industry, because that's precisely what the product is designed to help seniors to do. So um, what does that mean? Well, aging in place funding helps to uh, provide um, retrofits and renovations to the homes of seniors so that they can more adequately live in their homes for a longer period of time. So that can fund things like uh, ramps up to their front door, for instance, or non-slip uh, mats to place in their bathrooms or grab bars at different places just to make it easier to get around. Sometimes they can be a little bit more extreme, like widening the doorways inside a home to more easily accommodate uh, wheelchairs, for instance, or maybe even the installation of an elevator. If someone lives on a multi-story home, you know, they have those kinds of rail uh, elevators that can ride the rails up um, so that people can, you know, more easily move between multiple stories. Um, so this is a pretty uh, sizable investment. At the end of last year, it was announced that HUD was going to be funneling about $30 million into projects that are specifically aimed to help more seniors age in place. And uh, yesterday in Minneapolis, uh, HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge announced that they were upping that investment an additional $15 million. And on its face, that probably doesn't sound like much, but there was a, um, a, a state professional that was on hand uh, and he was asked directly how much a, a home's renovation could cost. And he pegged the cost in certain fluctuations at around $2,500. So when you look at $2,500 per home of around a family of four uh, with $15 million of new additional resources, that actually has quite a chance to help a lot of people age more easily in their home because natural things that happen in the aging process could limit mobility, it could limit vision. Um, so if people want to avoid going into something like a specialized assisted living facility, then the best thing to do for them would be to renovate their existing home so they can stay there for as long as possible. So this is uh, a really encouraging uh, bit of additional funding. And um, oftentimes you hear reverse mortgages used to fund these home renovation projects. So if someone's a beneficiary of this federal program, but they also, you know, want to supplement their retirement cash flow 
and they potentially want to fund even broader home renovation projects that could be more expensive than what this program could provide, then that could be a pretty big difference maker for someone who wants to stay in their own home. I think it's so smart. This kind of money is the best money you can spend on that when you look at, you know, if the government is going to spend money on on helping seniors and especially with where they live, keeping them in their home is the absolute most affordable thing to do. And it's what most seniors want. It's, you know, right? It's like it it's the perfect marriage of like, this is what people want. They want to age in place. Uh, but there are these barriers. And for, uh, I mean, $2,500 for such a low bar, you can make the difference in in someone's housing. Uh, I'm really passionate about this because, you know, in my former life, I have owned home health agencies. I've owned senior care, you know, um, services companies and things like that. And so this piece of the puzzle is so important. And it it points to the fact that housing is just one part of the overall, how how people live their lives. When, when they're younger, housing really, you know, like you look at things like what schools are, are in their district is one of the most important things. As they get older, it's like, can they safely be in their home? And for a ramp, for a shower install, you know, to have a grab bar in the shower, for a safe way to get up and down the stairs, just for the price of that, that person can stay in their home instead of going into a facility, which if, you know, after a certain point in your life, then the government is paying for that. And also like people don't want to go into a facility. I I'm, I have nothing against uh, senior facilities. They're, they're great. And if you need them, they're great. But most people want to stay in place. So it's really interesting to see how HUD is working really with the industry to say, listen, you know, it, or maybe they don't see it as like working with the, the reverse industry, but the reverse industry understands the potential. It's like, listen, if, if we can get people's houses in this shape, then they can really, they can take advantage of the reverse product. Absolutely. And I mean, I think a lot of people tend to, like, one of the reasons that uh, there are a lot of financial analysts, for instance, who think that there's a retirement crisis looming is because a lot of these problems when it comes to the longevity of finances, for instance, are put off. But that's the same thing when it comes to personal health. Like you don't want people to be thinking about retrofitting their home to age in place after they have fallen. Falling injuries can be really, really serious for older people. So if you have the ability to be proactive and you see this program come along, and it's also targeted specifically for lower income people first. So if they have the opportunity and they are able to avail themselves of this program to potentially make modifications to their home that can prevent some sort of fall injury later, um, then it could be a huge difference maker. And let's also not forget that coming off of the, the COVID pandemic, we heard horror stories coming out of assisted living facilities because the virus spread like wildfire in those congregate care settings. I think the industry, the the senior living industry has done a lot to to try and move forward from that. But at the same time too, it's hard to deny how people might feel about the idea of moving into a congregate care setting coming off of such a disruptive period in our history, especially when it comes to those kinds of facilities. So there's a lot of potential benefits here. Um, and, I mean, there's, I'm, I, I haven't looked into this specifically, but I'm sure that there are benefits to, uh, to reinforcing your home's value if you make certain renovations like this. 
Um, and you know, it could also be coupled with someone right-sizing. If someone's moving out of a multi-story home, for instance, and into a single-story home, then you just make the house safer to live in in your older years. There's a lot of upside here, and um, and reverse mortgages are an interesting sort of adjacent uh, relationship to home modification, which a lot of lenders have been exploring over the past couple of years. We've seen a lot of news stories. You know, it, it seems like reverse bubbles up in different. You know, it it sort of becomes the topic of the day and at different times and. You know, I, I've seen it more like you covered the fact that, you know, um, CBS was taking on some of it. CBS News was tackling the pros and cons of reverse mortgages. And I think one of the things, one of the reasons this is a perennial topic is we see this wave of people. We see the boomers, right? Um, they have to figure out retirement. They have to figure out their living situation. So this is an opportunity for people in the mortgage space. And many, you know, mortgage companies who typically just do forward understand that this, you know, this demographic is an opportunity there. So I think it's it's interesting to see what the government is doing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, not only with uh, with the uh, additional funding that they're pumping into aging in place programs, but um, I also recently had the opportunity to sit down with FHA Commissioner Julia Gordon to talk specifically about reverse. And um, I think the industry, at least based on some of the initial feedback that I received, um, was really encouraged by what she had to say because she comes from a consumer advocacy background. And so coming from a background like that, she basically explained that the the fintech space, for instance, is uh, causing a lot of proliferation of new financial instruments that people could potentially take advantage of. But a lot of those instruments, especially when it comes to seniors, are not nearly as long-lived and time-tested as the home equity conversion mortgage program. Uh, the, the FHA administration of the HECM program uh, should probably be a sign for people that this is something that is uh, very well regulated and um, there's a lot of policy changes that come into play and um, the the government and the industry itself are always looking at ways to improve consumer protections and that's not a guarantee that you necessarily get on um, on an emerging space like the fintech side. So uh, the, the FHA commissioner was very, very enthusiastic about how the reverse mortgage program could uh, make a, a very big difference for seniors who are looking to age in place and who are looking to supplement their cash flow by accessing their home equity. And that's just going to be more of a concern as time goes on if, um, if there's not you know, a fundamental reorganization of what the retirement culture is like in, in this country. So uh, the, the endorsement on the FHA side should be really encouraging for uh, not only for consumers, but also for the industry. It's true. That's huge. And having uh, someone at that level appreciate and understand the potential there is, it's, to your point, it's got to be encouraging, especially as people are like, you know, we're still dealing with some of those old stereotypes. Those stereotypes are should be the the truth about them. It's it's dead and buried. So it's great to have someone at the FHFA understand and really you know put their money where their mouth is on this. It, let's talk about HUD HUD award uh, again. So that they were the first story we covered, and then the fact that they awarded over um, forty one million in housing counseling grants, including reverse mortgage. So that wasn't all for reverse. But tell us what that means for lenders. Well, counseling is an extraordinarily important uh, component of the reverse mortgage origination process because 
uh, it's really the moment where uh, borrowers uh, get to fully take in and understand the potential impact that taking a reverse mortgage on will have on their own financial situation. Uh, counseling is critical. There have been quite a few uh, issues that have been related to counseling. We've touched on them at RMD at the state level, for instance. But um, the industry, uh, and particularly the Industry Trade Association, is very, very bullish about the role of counseling and how it can make a, a positive difference in the lives of senior borrowers. So these counseling grants that HUD awarded, they tend to do so on an annual basis. But the thing that was really interesting for the reverse industry specifically is that uh, the, a, a fair amount of, um, of, of the, the grants that are going to counseling agencies are going specifically to train new reverse mortgage counselors. And if there's anything that I've heard over the past couple of years, it's really that there are not enough reverse mortgage counselors. Volume is obviously very low in comparison to the forward side, but it's hard to increase distribution if such a critical component is understaffed at the state level. So the fact that HUD is going to move to specifically train new counselors to uh, adequately and competently speak about reverse mortgage dynamics and regulations is really, really encouraging for the industry. I reached out after the news of this notice of uh, funding opportunity came down to the president of the National Reverse Mortgage Lenders Association, Steve Irwin, and uh, and he was uh, really, really excited. He said that the association uh, appreciated that HUD is specifically allocating a lot of the necessary funds um, for the education and training of HECM counselors. And uh, I think this really kind of encapsulates it. He said, quote, counseling is a cornerstone of the HECM program and further educating the counseling community, expanding the pool of counselors and developing the next generation of HECM counselors will greatly benefit those senior homeowners who may be considering the use of a HECM loan to enable their aging in place. So we are going back to the aging in place conversation. I mean, it's so critical. And um, I, I think that any reverse mortgage professional worth their salt will tell you that uh, it's really important for borrowers to fully understand and comprehend uh, how a reverse mortgage will affect their finances in the broad term. So enabling uh, better education at the counseling level during the origination process could make a, a big difference in terms of uh, connecting the right information with the borrowers. I think it goes back to what you said too, that, you know, that counseling is one of the reasons it's, it's one of the things that sets apart this financial product from others and from maybe some of the more untested ones is, is that, you know, there's a process that people have to go through to even be considered. And, you know, we want to make sure they understand it. And so that, that counseling itself is one of the things that sets it apart. Commissioner Gordon's um, very, uh, you know, kind of full-throated endorsement of the HECM program should be really encouraging. And when you take that with new aging in place funding that they're putting in and the the new counseling funding, in addition to these HECM policy updates that are being rolled out, on top of that, you have revisions to the single family housing 4000.1 handbook that are in process and the industry has been partnering with FHA and with HUD to uh, to consolidate a lot of the guidance that's come out over the past decade or so. Um, the, the industry, it, certainly on the government side, is moving in 
um, in, in a very active direction in, in, in trying to make sure that this product can reach the kinds of people that could most benefit from it. I mean, it's not going to work for everybody. And I think any reverse mortgage professional uh, will tell you as much, you know, during the, the discovery process with a prospective client. But the fact that there is so much, um, I guess, confidence being showed in the HECM program on the FHA and the HUD side uh, is really encouraging. And it shows that they, uh, they right now, especially they've got their eye on the ball and they're aiming to develop policy that benefits borrowers. Great, great update there. One of the things that you and I have talked about on this show before is, you know, home equity lending. And, you know, the fact that that people have so much equity now in their homes is is very beneficial to reverse mortgages, to home equity in general. Um, you wrote a recent story about the fact that home equity lending saw a huge boost in Q2. Can you tell us what the data shows there? Yeah, sure. So this came from Adam Data Solutions. And uh, while purchase activity showed a bit of a modest gain, um, HELOCs in particular, home equity lines of credit, showed an increase of 35% on a quarterly basis, but 44% when compared to the same period in 2021, which comes out to just under 342,000 HELOCs. So there is a lot of renewed interest in home equity lending. And it's not surprising to see why people have seen their home equity grow uh, by record levels over the past couple of years because of uh, just the the heat of the housing market during the COVID period and the the immediate aftermath of the pandemic. So uh, naturally, with such a spike in home equity, that automatically brings up potential interest of the reverse mortgage industry. So I uh, I took some of this information to reverse mortgage professionals and HELOCs generally are far more popular than reverse. I mean, if we're talking, you know, over 340,000 uh, HELOCs in a given year, that's a, a fair amount larger than annual HECM origination, but HELOCs also don't have an age restriction and, and HECMs do. So I think that's worth keeping in mind. But at the same time, since there is so much renewed interest in home equity lending, naturally, you're going to talk to reverse mortgage lending organizations uh, and advocacy groups who say, hey, look, this might be a good time to tap into your home equity, especially if you might be hammered by inflation right now, or um, if your investments might be taking a hit just because the market seems to be on a bit of a roller coaster at the moment. Uh, home equity could be a, a potential boon for your financial situation. I've talked to uh, academic authority financial planner planners several times over the last couple of years, particularly since the pandemic, who expressed to me that uh, if, if someone chooses to take a reverse mortgage with a line of credit option, uh, which cannot be canceled, unlike a HELOC, the, the lending organization can pull a HELOC pretty much at any whim if they want to, and you can't do that with a reverse mortgage. But a HECM line of credit could potentially serve as a buffer asset. You know, you can draw from that if the market experiences a moment of volatility, and um, that can make a big difference in terms of uh, the stability of a senior's finances. On top of you know the typical concerns, if you're uh, an older person, you know maybe there's some sort of unexpected medical expense that could come up. So this all ties back to the increase in home equity. If if seniors are sitting on now over $11 trillion of collective home equity, according to the latest estimate that I saw from uh, Nirmala and data analytics firm RiskSpan, 
then this could be a really big difference maker for them. And, um, and it's worth at least entertaining the notion, even if it's not actively pursued. I think the, the reverse mortgage industry at large just wants to get into the door of consideration. And uh, if you have a big boon in home equity, that's a good way for more people to consider a home equity lending instrument. Absolutely. So interesting to see how that can be applied in the reverse space. I mean, that's, uh, it, it could just be a game changer. Yeah, some other news that was big, uh, you know, across the country right last week was the student loan debt forgiveness that was announced by Biden. And you know, I think it's surprising to people when they find out that many seniors have student loan debt. And you know, how I, I know that you wrote about like how does that affect um, this population? So I'd love for you to give us an update. First of all, I think people are surprised. They're like, are seniors going back to to school? But that's that's not always the case. So so kind of give us a, a a whole like pull back and give us context for why th- this affects this population. Yeah, sure. So um, this was actually something that I had covered uh, about a month ago, primarily, but it gained additional uh, relevance because of of what President Biden announced when it comes to uh, the idea that he and uh, the White House and and the federal government are going to forgive up to $20,000 of federal student debt. But seniors uh, appear to be the fastest growing demographic of student borrowers in the country, as much as 20% of the 45 million Americans who hold student debt are over the age of 50. And this was uh, from data that was actually published in the New Yorker magazine uh, at the end of July. And uh, so, you know, typically credit utilization from student loans comes from the assumption that, you know, younger students are going to be able to pay such debt off after they graduate because they will be able to directly benefit from uh, from the education that they just completed and they'll be able to acquire high paying employment as a direct result of going through a multi-year and high cost education. But uh, the increasing prevalence of older student borrowers could challenge such a notion. Uh, I think the article in the New Yorker, they mentioned that there's eroding union density, wages have been declining for the past, uh, at least on a historical perspective for quite a while. Uh, Tuition has increased significantly. Um, I mean, I I was in school like 10 years ago, but tuition was still a very large segment of my cost and it's only gotten worse for, uh, for the succeeding classes of college students and uh, colleges become less of a path to high paying jobs. And, and I think the, the way that the New Yorker article put it was that it's more of an escape hatch from the worst paying jobs, which I thought was an interesting idea. And I think that there are people who might disagree with that and there are understandable arguments to be made either way. But uh, what can't be argued really is just that there is an increasing prevalence of seniors who are taking on student debt if not for themselves, then to assist family members who might be trying to seek higher education. And I think that that's kind of um, a lesser seen aspect of the student debt equation. So if you have seniors who have taken on this additional debt to try and help out a child or a grandchild with tuition costs, then uh, this this debt forgiveness could make a pretty significant difference for someone living on a fixed income. You know, it's it's not like they are able to just, you know, drop their job and, and go find a higher paying job. Uh, they are relying on a, a set circumstance 
and the amount of money that they bring in could be based off of investments. It could be be, uh, pension based. It could be uh, social security benefits, which is how most seniors uh, get by month to month. So this could make a big difference for, for older people in addition to making a big difference for student borrowers, of course. Fascinating to me. I think that that is a really a great point that we think of, you know, education as this gateway that's going to pay you back over a lifetime. If you're, if you're older and, and, you know, over 50, many of them are, are way older than that. Right. And so you think, you know, their, their ability to pay back that debt or to really, you know, see the, see the fruits of that kind of investment from, uh, from every aspect is just, is just shorter, right? I mean, I'm in that demographic, so I can, I can say that. I mean, it's just shorter, but it is fascinating. And I do think that there are quite a few older people who are taking out those debts, um, for their family members, right? You have a lot of seniors, mm-hmm. um, are raising their grandkids or, you know, there, there's a, it's not all so cut and dried in our, uh, society today, as we know. And so you have intergenerational households, but you also just have grandparents raising kids um, or wanting to help them, even if they're not in their house. So fascinating part of that and really interesting to see how this will shake out. Um, seems like overall good news for older people and for people in the reverse space. Some of these um, government actions are, are, are benefiting them. Yeah, at least on the on the side of the the Heckam program itself, the the government component of it. I mean, I don't want to say that the industry is without its headwinds. Um, you know, we've recently reported on uh, lenders uh, that are part of public companies that have reported uh, big losses. The reverse components of those businesses have actually not been a big component of those losses, but those losses are certainly there. And you also have stories of uh, of major lenders who are instituting. Uh, layoffs as they have to adjust to their supply, not unlike uh, a, a lot of what's being seen on the forward side right now. But um, the, the reverse dynamics are different in some notable areas. And I think the uh, the prevalence of FHA's uh, role in the reverse mortgage industry, it tends to be far more prominent than uh, than the role on the, the forward side, which is largely conventional loans. And around 90%, give or take a couple of percentage points, are the FHA HECM program on the reverse side. So, uh, you know, if, if FHA is showing a lot of confidence in the reverse mortgage industry, that tends to be a good thing. But lenders are certainly running into their own headwinds right now. And, uh, and I don't want to make it seem like they're not. Yeah, no, and I don't either because we do know this is such a challenging time for everyone in in the real estate space. But um, it is an encouraging to see some of those uh, some of those things happen. Chris, as always, it is such a pleasure. I always learn so much when I have you on, and I know our listeners do as well. You have your own podcast, which people can listen to. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a monthly podcast. Uh, and this month, uh, we're actually going to be releasing an episode in a couple of days with, uh, with Jared Talmadge, who's the uh, Western sales manager for Simple Reverse Lending. Um, it used to be uh, Mid-America Mortgage, I believe. And Jared has taken uh, the bull by the horns when it comes to promotion. And he's done a lot of work when it comes to making local media appearances which, uh, which you have to pay for. They're like paid segments, but we talk a bit about that and what the ROI is like on something like that, uh, as well as just the dynamics of the business right now and, uh, how educational priorities are changing and, and some of the successful sales approaches that he has made. And he's written two reverse mortgage books, like a reverse mortgage book was his COVID project. 
and uh, and it just kind of turned into to a whole other uh, side aspiration that he had. And he wrote another book that he's just about to release. So we have a pretty good discussion. So people should check it out. They should. It's the RMD podcast at reversemortgagedaily.com. And you have a, a whole lot of really interesting um, speakers on and, and people you talk to. So people should definitely check that out. But Chris, thanks again for being on. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Much appreciated. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.